0: Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you are listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. Are you worried about the mental health of the children and teenagers in your life? So many kids and young adults are having a lot of trouble right now. Some experts are calling the youth mental health crisis the second pandemic. Here's what we know. An all-time high number of Minnesota students reported struggling with long-term mental health problems in the latest survey by the Minnesota Department of Health. 29% of students reported long-term mental health problems compared to 23% in 2019. And long-term means they experience distress for six months or more. And girls, in particular, are suffering. A new CDC survey shows three out of every five teenage girls felt persistent sadness in 2021, which is double the rate of boys. Now, that report was just released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention last week. Meanwhile, we know that rural Minnesotans severely lack mental health resources. Just one example is Jackson County near the Iowa border where there are zero mental health resources. So this hour, I'm talking with two guests about the behaviors and the statements of children and teenagers that we should be paying attention to. And what is the best response? How can we help them improve their mental health? And how do we avoid making things worse? As we talk, I want to hear from you. I want you to pick up the phone and call us. Again, is there a teenager who you are worried about? A child? Why? Do you have a story about a young person who you have helped or who you could help? Do you need some advice? Or if you are a student, you can call us too. What do you want the adults in your life to know about how you are feeling about life? Here are the numbers to call. 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651 651- or you can call 800-242-2828. Again, that's 800-242-2828. You'll find me on Twitter, too. You can leave me a message. I'm at Angela Davis, MPR. Let's bring in our guest. In the studio with me this morning is Verna Cornelia Price, better known as Dr. Verna. She's the CEO of the Power of People Consulting Group, a leadership and management consulting firm in Minneapolis. She's also the co-founder of Girls Taking Action and Boys of Hope. These organizations address increased violence and decrease academic engagement in girls and boys, grades 6 to 12. Good morning, Dr. Verna. Good morning, Miss Angela. Nice to see your face. Good to see you as well. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah, eager to hear from you. Joining us, we have also... Uh, Thad Shunkweiler. Now, Thad is joining us remotely. He's an associate professor at Minnesota State University, Mankato, and the creator, or rather, the director of the Center for Rural Behavior Health. He researches trends of mental health in rural areas and uh, eager to hear what you have to share with us. Thad, good morning to you.
1: Good morning, Angela. Hi. Uh, so good to be with you.
0: Yeah, thank you both for joining me. Um, if you listen to the show regularly, you know, I, I just have a high interest in education and mental health and, uh, and, and children. Um, so, Dr. Werner, we've known each other for many years. Mm-hmm. I know that you are a parent um, and you've also worked with youth your entire career. So, you know, I threw numbers out there, the latest stats, but what do you know personally about what, it, what you're seeing with young people?
2: Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for even hosting this conversation. It's so right on, and it's so on time. Um, and I just want um, to just say a, a, a couple of things. Um, first of all, to everyone listening, I am not a mental health professional, okay? And that's really important for people to know. What I am is an educator who's been with young people for for decades, mm-hmm. Spend and a lot of time. A lot, and I mm-hmm. spend a lot of time with them, and I'm a mother. And so being in and out of communities, being in and out of schools, and having direct contact with thousands and thousands of girls, we've heard some things. Um, so, And one of the things, um, particularly coming out of the pandemic, is that more and more and more of our girls have said that they're sad. And that they don't they don't they don't feel good about themselves mm. and they don't feel as though anyone cares. And they're they they no longer have, you know, they don't want to do anything anymore. And they're kind of like going inside of themselves. Um, and this is, I think, and I'll talk more about this, but I will think this is kind of a compounded effect as well. I'll talk more about that. But in our in our most recent survey with our girls, um, we found that 71% of our girls, interestingly, when we talked about mental health, talked about having trouble sleeping. And I'm going to talk more mm. about that and why that's important. And 57% of them said that they have experienced some level of anxiety. Um, and then another 40% are saying that they are having um, problems with overeating or undereating which is also connected to mental health as well mm-hmm. So
0: these are some of the things yeah. we're seeing you've mm-hmm. painted a very detailed and a heartbreaking mm-hmm. picture but mm-hmm. those of us who are in contact with young people we've seen it yep right right yep um, Thad, I know you have a special interest in rural communities what did you hear in what Dr. Verner just described what do you want folks to know about um, you know the young people you're seeing and, and discovering from research in uh, rural parts of the state?
1: Yeah, I would conclude with everything that Dr. Verna said there, you know, more broadly. Uh, I am a licensed mental health professional here in the state of Minnesota and have practiced in greater Minnesota for over a decade before becoming a clinician. Treating children have been something that's been near and dear to my heart. Um, but yeah, I would echo all those same things. Uh, we often blame the the pandemic for this problem. But if you look closely at the data over a long period of time, this problem has been happening for for more than a decade where we're seeing these increases uh, in our young people with sadness and anxiety. And, and I think to kind of build off that, I think so much of it is really tied into kind of the disconnection that our young people are feeling with one another. Uh, I see that firsthand here on a college campus uh, where we have students who, you know, there might be 40 students in a classroom and they're all on their phones and no one is talking to one another. I think back to when I first started in academia, uh, I would have to ask people to be quiet before we would start class. And so we're just seeing this concerning mm-hmm. trend where people are going inward, not connecting with one another. And we know connection is a protective factor for all sorts of different mental health challenges.
0: I get the going inward part. I mean, I, I just listened and I many of our listeners may have heard in, in uh, the last news break, uh, there were some students who uh, spoke last night at a school board meeting in St. Paul uh, in response to you know a, a student who was stabbed and killed inside of a high school in St. Paul. Safety no place feels safe. The school doesn't feel safe. The the streets in the community don't feel safe. Uh, maybe home doesn't feel safe. And so when you think about not feeling safe, you can understand why there being anxiety and trouble sleeping. Dr. Verna.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the compounded effect because as parents are listening to this, teachers are listening to this, is that this it's not just one thing. Mm-hmm. It's multiple things mm-hmm. happening all at the same time. And I think what the, what the pandemic did was that it kind of brought all of these things together into a cocoon and then created a cyclone of, of mm-hmm. mental health issues for our young people. Um, and so this impact of, of increased violence, um, increased negative messages on social media... And I'm not gonna call any particular names, but I'm talking about social media broadly. Um, that compounded with every young person by the time you turn 11 and you're becoming going into puberty. Between eleven and eighteen ish, nineteen ish, some for, for some of our students twenty ish. Mm-hmm. That's just a part of just that's a time of discovering of questions. I don't know who I am. My body's changing, and that's normal. That is mm-hmm. normal. Well, you compound that with social media messages saying you're not good enough. You because it used to be like when you get a pimple on your face, it was just you know puberty. Mm-hmm. Now you get a pimple on your face, you don't look perfect anymore. Mm-hmm. You got to get that perfect picture for social media. You're not, you know, you're not, you're not the right size, you're not the right look, you're not the right color. So all of these messages, and then these negative messages that are coming into our young people, there are young people that are coming together and creating suicide videos that they are posting on social media, teaching kids how to kill themselves. And later in the program, I hope we get to talk about what do we do as parents, because I I really have some, ideas is for that but that compounding effect on what's going on in society becoming more vicious, more hateful, more you know just mean. Right. And then that combined with kids already feeling uncomfortable in themselves growing up just naturally. So all of that.
0: It's not an option to look away and no. say like, oh, teenage no. years are hard. That's what no. I went through. This no. is something, a completely different this beast. Is some,
2: we got something different here coming yeah. on. Mm-hmm. It's very
0: complex. That, uh, you, what are your thoughts about that? We were just talking about, uh, you know, not feeling safe, uh, going inward, and, and the reasons why there would be persistent sadness.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it's any coincidence that we've seen the increase in mental health challenges with young people kind of keep pace with the amount of social media use uh, that they have. I think if you just look at those trends, the more social media access, the the greater the, the mental unwellness going on with young people. And to connect it with safety, you think about the amount of time young people spend on social media, that's a complete unsafe environment. And the messages that they're hearing and the expectations that are being set, across uh, across social media there's just this constant i'm not good enough and so mm-hmm. they are they're just bombarded with those messages and over time that really drives this level of anxiety and sadness that is and we're seeing the results of it in the data today
0: um, dr verner mm-hmm. said that some of the young people she worked with uh, girls in particular said mm-hmm. you know they say that no they it feels like no one cares is that because the adults in their lives are also struggling with their own mental health that it can feel like they're just out on their own and and what do you uh, yeah, attribute that to?
2: Yeah, I'm, you're looking at my face going, oh, um, I, you know, I think a lot of our adults are in like um, in denial mode because they mm-hmm. don't want to believe that their own child is struggling with this. And so they're looking the other way.
0: Why? Because, oh, because. Well, it's
2: just, it's, it's, you know, who wants to say that their child is struggling with mental health? Who wants Who wants to say that 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 my child is the problem or has a problem? So that stigma is still there. That's huge stigma. Right. Right. Huge, huge stigma. Who you who wants to tell their friends that you know we you know my child is depressed and they're anxious and they're you know so forth and so on. But so I my, think parents have to be true of friends. Yeah. I've
0: just I've been impressed uh, by mm-hmm. the openness and conversation and that you know how that has you know helped many parents come together because they form community and they have an ability to share these stories
2: and they need to. Absolutely. Absolutely need to. But I'm telling you, a lot of people are just kind of turned or, you know, just and then and a lot of homes, too. There are students who are simply raising themselves. No one's watching. Mm. Right. They're raising themselves with their phones. The phone is raising them. And no one is paying that detailed attention Mm -hmm. to their shift in mood, their shift in appetite, their shift in sleep, their shift in, you know, um, um, being engaged with other things and, you know, and being active. No one's actually, you know, looking at that.
0: Uh, Thad, what would you say about uh, the feeling that some young people feel like, well, no one's paying attention, no one cares, and that, Mm -hmm. that these kids feel like they're just on their own?
1: Yeah, I think everything that Dr. Verna said is accurate. I'd like to add in there. I think there is this disconnection to the lived experience of our young people from parents as a parent of, of young children, I just think I, I try to see the, the experiences that they're having through the lens of my own. And the, the environment that they're growing up in today was just far different than mine, even just a couple of decades ago. And so I think there is just some reality to the fact that I think many parents don't understand what young people are going through, even in, with best intentions of trying to. There just right. is this gap that maybe didn't persist in previous generations.
0: Well, that's what I want to do today. I want to help find some words. I want to, like, what are some actions like individuals can take? Because we, are, we know the schools can't do it all, right? We know that there's a lack of uh, enough uh, mental health professionals. And even if there were enough, there's still, you know, barriers to a- accessing them. So uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking about um, the children and teenagers and young adults uh, in our lives who you may be worried about. Uh, do you have a story right now about a young person that you have helped or could help? Or do you need something? Some advice. I think I have two great guests who are happy to give some advice. Or if you're a young person, call us. You can talk to us. Tell us how you describe what you are experiencing when it comes to your mental health or what you're seeing in your friends. Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, that is 651-227-6000. You can also call 800 242 Twenty-eight, twenty-eight. Tweet me at Angela Davis, NPR, uh, Dr. Verner and Thad. We're going to take some phone calls from listeners now. Uh, in uh, in Minneapolis, we have Joe on the phone. And, and Joe, what do you want to share with us or or ask?
3: Good morning, Angela. Thank Hi, you jo. so much for having me on, and sure. to Dr. Verna and Thad. Thank you so much for this. I am a parent of three wonderful teenagers, two of my own, and one bonus kid. And they have all separately had some type of mental health issue, I think, over the past, you know, two or three years. So my question is, outside of limiting screen time and kicking teenagers out of the house, <laughs> uh, the, the mental health system, I think, is incredibly overloaded. It's, it's mm-hmm. difficult to get appointments. Um, not everyone's taking new, new patients, especially for adolescents. So for Dr. Verna and Thad, what are some kind of you know, quick tips and resources with how to cope, um, you know, when it's it's a little more than just taking your vitamins and going outside.
0: Mm, good question, Joe. Uh, three teenagers in her home, and then I'll start with you. Uh, what are some coping strategies, some, some actions you can take right now with, 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 with kids who are showing signs of, of having some distress?
1: I think first and foremost, as a parent myself and as a clinician, the the most important thing to do is to try to seek to understand what your young person might be going through. I think too often we kind of just jump in with our conclusions about what they might be going through. But really, it's about listening. Listen to your children about what their concerns are. Don't try to judge that concern, but rather just have them express that. And then you as the parent model how you might react or respond to that situation. I think parents don't give ourselves enough credits. We are our children's best teachers. Mm -hmm. And if we can model how to negotiate and navigate some of these challenges, even if we ourselves don't see them as very problematic, we might be looking at this like, that's not a problem. Um, but if we listen, we seek to understand, and then maybe role model a way to kind of help navigate that, that struggle, I think is a good first step. And I do have to add, if your children or your child is, you know, sharing some very serious concerns at that point, the the parent's best option is to connect with a professional, um, even though we are our children's best teacher, that we do have limitations about what we what we should be engaging in or, or, or to then reach out to get that help when it's needed.
0: I want to go deeper into listen, don't judge. So. What does listening sound like? Give me some words, Tad, because that because we may be thinking, well, I am listening, but maybe our facial expressions, body language, is telling us, telling the kid that we're judging also.
1: Yeah, I think being curious. Uh, one of my favorite things to do with my kids is just to simply ask them about their day and do it in a very curious way. Like, oh, tell me how that experience felt, right? So maybe your friend has stopped talking to you and, and your child is having some difficulty with that interpersonal relationship and simply just open-ended questions about what does that experience feel like for you? And your kid might look at you like, what are you doing, mom? What are you doing, dad? <laughs> Stop um, talking that's to a nor- me. Yeah, That's a normal response. But I'm telling you, if you open that door, you'll be surprised with how many young people walk through that. Um, And it might not be the first time you ask that question. But if you kind of set that standard within your family that we talk about what's going on, you will see that pay dividends over time. Back to that serious issue. If you continuously open the door and your young person won't walk through it, that's Mm -hmm. probably a tall tale sign of that. Maybe you do need some professional intervention to try to help figure out what might be going on.
0: Uh, Dr. Werner, Joe in Minneapolis has three teenagers in her home is looking for some advice.
2: Oh, excellent. <clears throat> well, first of all, introduce game night into your family. Okay, so, um so create some sort of tradition where all of your family is doing something together. That's playing cards, that's watching a movie, that's having popcorn, that's having game night. Um, And so that they feel as though they're connected to something really important, which is family. Second, find ways to laugh with your students. Find ways to just crack up and have a good time joy, Uh, because this is really all about feelings and how they're feeling. Third, sneak in. And I'm telling you, boy, this is a little strategy. Our teenagers, developmentally, our teenagers cannot really hear us. What do you mean? That means that all of the important things that you want to say to your teenager, you've got to model that in your living, but not necessarily in your words. So what you've got to do is you've got to find a circle of friends in your community that you can put around your teenagers that will say exactly what it is that you would have said to them, but they're going to listen to them because they see them as the other Mm -hmm. and they will tell them the truth and their feelings and everything. And meanwhile, they're connecting with you saying, you know, and and I, I literally did this with my daughters. I'm like, I called a, a group of my friends, three or four of them. And I said, you know what? Take her to dinner, take her to lunch, talk to her, have conversations with her because Our teens, they need someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. In Girls Taking Action this year, um, we hired a health and wellness specialist. And you know what her job is? Literally to go to our all 21 sites of Girls Taking Action. We've got 500 girls in our program. And just, just watch the girls and talk to them and listen to them. Because our students, they need to know that someone cares about their feelings. This is really important. Last thing is um, uh, the car conversations.
0: Oh, this has come up this with is, a lot of you've folks.
2: you got to have a it's car so conversation. It's so but it works. It's so works. So when they get in the car, first thing first is you just greet them with love. Let me tell you, this mental health thing, our students need to know that they are loved.
0: What does greet it with love sound look like?
2: Sure, sure, sure sure, sure, sure. Hey, I'm so glad to see you. Hope you had a great day today. And then literally, you know, if, if, if you're hugging family, give them a hug. And just and just let them sit there in the car for a minute. Just, right. just give them just a moment chill. just right. to chill. Right. And then like that is saying, just, you know, just kind of nonchalantly say, how was your day today? How are you feeling today? Tell me about it. Mm-hmm. and they'll start telling you now when they start telling you mom you're not asking any questions and I don't know about no, you but hard. this is hard not for me questions, this is, is hard. really hard because you know I'm a teacher I want the details what's her name I want what was she like, what did da, they da, say? Da, then da, what happened and, and, happen. and she what? Just, well, no no mm-hmm. I want to turn to lawyer you know you know, <laughs> mom a lawyer a sergeant and then I just no. have to say uh, mm, breathe mm, 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 mm. and I Listen. had my I had my um third year college daughter who who really went through with mental health so I mean, just we had to just, you know, pray and believe God and just pull her through and get a therapist and put the command with the whole thing. So so parents, as I'm talking to you, just know that I am a lived experience mama. And she said um, she said to me just as recently, she said she said, just breathe before that before you give that comment.
0: Slow it down and listen. Yes, that's what she was saying. (laughs) Just listen. I've heard this from uh, countless school counselors, mental health professionals, that we are not listening. We're not giving them a chance to speak. And and again, removing the judgment because often the young people feel like they're just going to create disappointment. When they mm-hmm. tell you things, they're going to create a new problem. That's why they don't talk to us. Or they're going to be in trouble. Or they're going to be in trouble. Okay. Uh, I want to take another phone call. Uh, in Plymouth, we have Dave on the phone. Dave, thank you for waiting. Thank you for calling in. What's going on with your the young people in your home? Um, hi. Hi.
4: <laughs> thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a little background. So, during COVID 2021, uh, my, uh, my ex and I decided to get divorced. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, my daughter went through that and decided to get her right into therapy. And uh, we, we had to go through a few different therapists, <clears throat> several in network. And uh, we ended up having to go out of network. And I feel very privileged to be able to pay for that.
0: How but, old is she, uh-huh. Dave? How old is your what? daughter? How old is oh, your sorry, daughter?
4: sorry, she's 15.
0: 15, okay.
4: And, yeah, so and... right at that age. She's got a good friend group, but... Um, I found it interesting that she uh, she won't share with us, but she'll share with her therapist, mm-hmm. and um, you know. So we that that's been a really really helpful thing.
0: And Dave, did you have have to try several different therapists before you landed? Uh, oh, yeah. on On yeah, the yeah. right we, one. We, we, Tell me we about that. We went
4: through about three different therapists. Yeah.
0: And, and so, what was going on with the ones that didn't work out? What and what or what was well with the one that that she is with now? What's going well?
4: Uh, you know. Honestly, her, her current therapist is uh, actually a graduate student who isn't complete with her, her um, degree. However, she uh, has a similar interest. Like, they, they both played soccer. She's young.
0: Mm-hmm. You
4: know, it, it, it just, uh, it was a better connection.
0: Mm-hmm. So that sometimes the age difference um, can create a barrier if, if the therapist, you know, is not um, kind of in sync with, with the young person. Thank you, Dave. Um, yeah, I I just thought it was really
4: interesting that um, she won't share with us, but she'll share with her therapist. She won't share with her friends, but she'll share with her therapist.
0: but That's a good thing, right? But she's sharing.
4: Yeah, 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 totally, and right. and we're we're kind of glad about that. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's huge. And, All right, I, that, I want to ask you about this because I know your focus is uh, on what's going on in in rural communities, small towns, and uh, we know uh, there is a huge lack of resources, uh, particularly when you look at small towns and in rural communities. Uh, tell us about the work that you're doing there uh, at the Center for Rural Behavior Health.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we know that the demand for mental health services is the same, if not greater in greater Minnesota. If you mm-hmm. think of that student survey data, I crunch the numbers. And when you pull out the seven county metro area, students on average are actually doing worse in the greater Minnesota, in rural areas, and so this is coming at a time when their access to care—you know—the last caller was successful. he took him a few tries, but was successful in finding a therapist to fit for for his daughter. But I'm telling you, there are so many communities uh, in the state of Minnesota that don't have that 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 access. I think just to put a number on it, um, 80% of Minnesota counties qualify federally as a mental health provider shortage area, and there are dozens of counties like Jackson County that have, you know, zero to just one or two available How options. How is that possible? Well, I think it's hard to get professionals to uh, relocate and live in greater Minnesota. I think, you know, the, the Twin City metro area uh, has about uh, almost 90% of all of our providers, according to MDH workforce data. And so I think that the reasons are, are complex. But if you just want to simplify it, I think it's hard to get a graduate educated person, doctoral educated person to pack up their family and move to a New Ulm, Minnesota or a Pipestone, Minnesota. And so so it's just there is just this lack of professionals that want to relocate and live and practice there. Mm.
0: All right, uh, I want to take some more phone calls before we go into a news break. We're talking about the the mental health of teenagers and kids and and what are they expressing and what can we do to help uh in the community in our homes. Give us a call at 651-227-6000 or 800 800- 242-2828. Uh, let's take one more phone call before we go to a news break, and then we're going to take more calls and talk more with our guests. In Forest Lake, though, uh, we have Ashley on the line. And, Ashley, uh, what do you want to share with us or ask?
3: Yeah, I just wanted to bring into the discussion um, kind of children with learning differences
1: mm-hmm. and
3: what that looks like for the entire family because as we know, a lot of those learning differences are, you know, genetic and hereditary, mm-hmm. meaning if, you know, my kids are experiencing um, difficulties with their ADHD, more than likely me or my husband are also experiencing the same And what I see in the school with my son who is in seventh grade, he's 12 years old, Mm -hmm. is that jump, especially to middle school, is especially difficult as the demands get so much more rigorous Mm -hmm. and the fun kind of goes out the door. There's no more outside time. There's no more recess um, for them. It's Mm -hmm. just a lot of structure that wasn't in place before. And what that has looked like for him is ending up in conflict with his teacher's The majority of the time, you know, Mm -hmm. there hasn't been almost any weeks where he goes through a whole week of school without one of his teachers calling the behavioral specialist to get him out of the classroom because Mm -hmm. he's making paper airplanes instead of, you know, taking notes, even though that's in his 504 plan to, you know, be assisted um, with guided notes and to think of what that stress would be like as a developing young person. Every morning when he's
0: getting up and going to school, he has an idea of what his day is going to be like.
3: Yes, you know, and how that affects then the self-esteem of our young kids and, um, you know, like overwhelming sadness. So the feelings Mm -hmm. of, you know, he'll describe to me that he just feels blessed. He feels blessed or he he doesn't have many feelings because it's overwhelming, Mm -hmm. you know. For Um, him
0: and and for you, Ashley. Yes,
3: absolutely. And how do we... How do we find a remedy, you know, to that situation? And like today, even when they're supposed to have a snow day, you Mm -hmm. know, but because they have access to e-learning, the school is requiring them to to participate in e-learning.
0: So assignments, right.
3: Mm -hmm. Yes. And And it's like it's a lot of the times the points he makes make sense to me when he says, I don't I don't understand how, you know, I can be in school for the majority of the day. And then when I go home, my teachers can still tell me what to do, you know, speaking about Mm -hmm. doing homework. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that makes sense. Don't they deserve a a chance to, to have a break and to recharge, you know, their brain or like today when the, the online learning is especially a struggle for kids with a learning difference or ADHD. That's how we found out was after the, when the pandemic hit and I was home with them and it was immediately obvious this is such a struggle for him to just sit here and listen to somebody lecture. Um, How do we accommodate that, but still not, not let them slide in school and not let them get so far behind that then they have this mountain of homework to catch up on. And it's just, you know, like, like you spoke about earlier, the cyclone. It's, cycle, you know, it's overwhelming. It envelops the whole house, it envelops the whole family, you know, trying right. to get things on track.
0: Um this is Ashley and Forest. Like Ashley, stay with us. I want you to hear from both of our guests on this and and you know, uh Dr. Verna, um what advice do you have for Ashley who's uh described, you know, a difficult situation for her child and for for herself?
2: Uh, well, just just so you know you're not crazy, okay? It is is real. It really is happening. Um, um, I have a son, um, who has struggled with special needs all of his life and I've had to kind of work through this, um, every day. Um, and one of the, the number one things, uh, is really relationships with his teachers and relationships with that school. Um, and I have found that it is so important. I've had to teach schools, teach teachers how to work with my son, um, at the same time, I also have had to be really protective of my son in making sure that he feels safe and he feels comfortable and he feels as though it is it is a space and a place where he can learn. So I think that that connection with the school and with his uh, with his teachers and them better understanding so it's kind of it's kind of one of those things where, if this is happening with him, then here's then then here's a possible solution. If he starts fidgeting over here, he's not being a problem. He literally is just not able to control his body for you know for whatever reasons. And here's some possibilities. You know, give him a pass or have him have him go and work on an activity, have him go and walk down the hall with a with a teacher assistant just to kind of get those bounce. Have him go to the gym and, 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 and shoot a couple of uh, basketballs. So come back get some of that energy out and then get back to work um, at home you know you you have to give him some time yourself where he can just be mm. before then you bring him back to actually uh, uh, doing his work because he still has to do the, he still has to do the homework he's still in school um, I think it's important uh, miss Andrew that we not mix up learning disabilities <clears throat> with mental health and they're not the same thing correct mm-hmm. now I um, Uh, Someone's learning disabilities and how it's being treated can move a student into feeling anxious, into feeling depressed, into feeling these things, um, into feeling sad. But they're not the same thing. And I don't want us to Mm -hmm. to to I want to make clear that just because your student has a learning disability does not mean that they have a mental health issue at all. As a matter of fact, they could have a learning disability and and be one of the happiest people in your house. Right.
0: right? Mm -hmm. I want to give that that? an uh, opportunity to talk uh, to to Ashley. What advice would you give Ashley there with a, a seventh grader with ADHD having a hard time?
1: Yeah, I want to first say this to Ashley and every parent who's listening to this you know, program right now is you're doing a great job. Uh, I I think oftentimes when we're talking about our children and the challenges they're having, whether they be learning disabilities or emotional difficulties, we often look internally and say, I must be doing something wrong. And I'm here to tell you right now, Ashley, you being a parent calling in with Mm -hmm. this question tells me everything I need to know about you as a mother, as a parent, as a caregiver. And so I think, you know, it's going to be hard for me to solve your, your child's you know struggles, everything Dr. Vernus said I would echo, other than just to say, take a moment, take a deep breath and tell yourself you're doing a great job. And I want every parent who's listening right now to do the same because it's hard and it's only getting harder. And, and if we beat ourselves up, it, it's not going to get any easier. And so take a breath and say, I am doing the best I can and I am a good parent. And I tell you what. Tomorrow's a new day, and this you'll you'll have more fight in it uh, tomorrow. But I would echo essentially what Dr. Verna said with a lot of those things, and really just be that advocate and that coordinator of of care between the school districts, care providers. Um, I, I think the more that we can kind of pull everybody in the same page traditionally the better outcomes that we have for our patients.
0: All right, we're going to go to news right now. I want to give out this important information though. If if you or a loved one is experiencing a crisis, please know that you can call or text 988. Again, that is a a suicide and a crisis lifeline, 988, or you can text MN to 741741. There's someone available at any time of the day or night. And and also if you or a loved one if you feel uh, that that person is at imminent risk contact 911 or ask for a crisis intervention team officer. Again, call or text 988 if someone is experiencing a crisis. All right. Back to the phone lines uh where listeners have been waiting patiently in Minneapolis. Martin, I see you there. Martin's on the phone. Martin, what do you want to tell us?
1: Hey, um Hi. so as like a young man,
4: One of the worrying trends that I've seen is just how disenfranchised a lot of young men have become. Uh, Many young men just don't feel like they know what to do with their futures, and they kind of lack a lot of positive role models. Um, Unfortunately, I've also seen that a lot of bad actors on social media and sites such as YouTube have watched onto these young men and said that this group or that group are the problem and have really radicalized these young men. Um, So how can we reach out to these young men before it's too late? How can we give them a positive path forward?
0: All right. Uh, Martin, interested in men in particular. Uh, Dr. Werner. Uh, you and your husband work closely with young girls and boys, young men. What do, what do you think Martin is describing there? He's talking about YouTube channels and what they're seeing it's, and learning there.
2: Martin is absolutely right on. It's very, very true. And it is happening every day. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I, I think that the humanity effect of all of this has to be talked about. Uh, because it used to be that young people were connected to people, like actually people in front of them. So you knew their friend group, or you saw them come over, or you, you saw them at school, or now they can literally disconnect from the actual physical person in front of them. And their new group is now all a virtual group. And if that virtual group happens to be a negative group, they do become radicalized, and they do become convinced and socialized into into a mental health, like real mental health issues, sometimes uh, to the place of of suicide, unfortunately. And it's very, very sad. Um, I think we have to get back to proximity, Martin. I I really do. Um, I cannot help everyone. But I'm telling you, those young men in our Boys of Hope program, those 225 young men, and most of those young men happen to be a young men of color, um, but they're closest to me. And so what I've done is make sure that every last one of those young men, that they have a caring adult man who is mentoring them every week and be able to have conversations with them and have a place for them to talk and having someone to listen to them and also having a place where they they can ask the hard questions. So I, because sometimes they won't ask the hard questions of their parents or because it's kind of awkward, but they will bring up those hard questions in the groups. And I can tell you working with my husband, you know, as we have had to go on the opposite end of this into prisons and teach Men how to change your lives while they're in prison. For every man who's gone to prison and who, who has come on the other side now in understanding who he is and the importance of who he is, every one of them have said, a caring adult, a caring adult who could show me and listen to me and help me understand like right there in my face, that is what I needed. Um, and in so proximity, when that you say, proximity, Martin, is plus. the key. If you I mean, see a young man at your church or your mm-hmm. synagogue or in your community, and you see that they're struggling, you know, connect and begin
1: to mentor. It's critical.
0: That what are, are the concerns that you see with young men in particular?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad Martin brought this up. Uh, men's mental health is a bit of a hidden epidemic. It's not something we talk about. I mean, even so far on the show, we've almost exclusively focused on young women and their mental health struggles. And I think it's because the data tells us that they're doing worse. But I, what I think, my hypothesis as an academic and clinician is that boys are struggling just as much. They're just not expressing it. They're, they're not, not telling the about, surveys. They're not talking correct. about it. Mm-hmm. Correct. So they're internalizing yeah. that. They're disconnected from one another. And to Martin's point, I mean, human nature is to connect. And so if they can't connect with their peers, they can't connect with you know positive things in their lives, they're going to connect with anything that will connect with them. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. we live in a society where it is ripe for people who want to connect and bring people into maybe more extreme views on things. And, and it's a different conversation. But these things are what translate into violence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we develop empathy through the connections that we have with other people. And when we don't have those connections, the level of empathy that we have goes down and that that then is correlated with people willing to do violence. So it's it's a whole topic, Angela. That should be another, another show, show. But mm-hmm. I uh, hear you. yeah, mm-hmm. men's men's mental health because okay. I just think it's not something we talk uh, near enough about.
0: I, uh, uh, the producers. Everybody's nodding. All right, uh, Doctor Werner. I know you want to talk about phone addiction.
2: I do. I do. And this is a reality, parents. Um, we have given way too much leverage and way too much time and resources and money and putting phones in our children's hands. And we're putting these phones in their hands when they're three years old. By the time they're 10 years old, by the time they're 14 years old, they're addicted to that phone. We see it. Absolutely. Nice. They're addicted. They're physically addicted, and they're mentally addicted. And depending on how addicted they are to that phone, they're also addicted to what's coming in. Now, I'm just going to give you a visual real quick. If if if, if you knew... That at 2 o'clock in the morning, there were rapists and murderers and, 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 and just evil, wicked people coming into your back door. Would you open the door and let them into your child's room? No. Absolutely not. Well, that's what's happening at 2 o'clock in the morning on your, on, within social media on your child's phones. So what I want you to do, parents, is to get brave. You paid for those phones. Those are your phones. That is your child. And I want you to go and have that conversation with your child about the realities of what they are seeing and hearing and how that's impacting them. And then I want you to simply say to your child, my job, because I love you so much, is to help to protect you. And I would never let anything dangerous happen to you. So as a result, come nine o'clock, I want that phone in my hand. Come 10 o'clock, I want that phone in my hand. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a safe space to give a break to that phone and give a break to you. So you can get some good sleep and you can clear up your mental space from that particular phone. And I just want to encourage you parents to be brave. Get those phones out of your kids' be, hands and even brave. do a phone audit. Be brave. Wait a minute. Be brave. We some, brought them here. Be some brave. Some parents are afraid to take their children's phones. I'm telling you, some parents are afraid of their children. You don't have to be afraid. These are your children. You you gave birth to this child. Take your child back. Get that phone out of their hands, right? And, 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 and get your child back to safety. Pull them off the edge. I have been there. And I've had to do this. And it's very uncomfortable, parents. But once you do it, guess what? You begin to see the light come back into your child's eyes. They're now sleeping better. Um, they're engaging more. Lots of those things are happening. And then one last thing, too, I want to say is check your, check your child's phone. Audit the phone to see what they've been looking at. This is very uncomfortable. That
0: requires some courage. That's, that you like, check, you
2: audit. See right. what you, look at the history, see what your child has been looking at so you know what to talk to your child about. You should have the passwords to all of your children's phones. They should not be locked to you.
0: You have access to those phones. Uh, before we, w- we run out of time, <laughs> that was the, the, a lot of people were saying, ooh, that's right now. <laughs> I, I want to make sure we do hear from some students in this discussion. You know, we have uh, some recorded interviews that, that, that we're sharing from our NPR story circles. And these are conversations that we convene in the community and, and, and people can openly share. and We use it in some of our news coverage. And so one, um, you know, something that we all have in common right now is what we've been through in the pandemic, children and adults. So I want you right now just to listen to a little bit to what Kayla Marie milky uh, had to say a student who talks about how the pandemic impacted her
4: i think my junior year i was like noticing my mental health was not right before the pandemic and lockdown even started and then what the lockdown did for me is make me realize i i just had to like literally sit alone in my thoughts
3: and that was really bad um cuz i was in
1: probably anything and any, everything I could do extracurricularly at my school. And I realized once that all was taken away and once that all stopped, that it was just distraction from thinking um, about
4: how I felt and if I'm okay.
0: Mm. Um, that's Kayla Marie Milky, there, a student, uh, talking about how the pandemic impacted her. Dad, uh, does uh, What resonates with you and what you heard her say?
1: Oh, heartbreaking, Angela, there to hear that from one of our young people. But uh, what stood out loud and clear to me there was a student who felt alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the the pandemic, you know, what it really did was just pushed us further physically away from one another. And I'm telling you that the connections that we have as human beings is is not a luxury. It is necessary for us to feel good. And so we have created and and whether I mean, we had to do it, but we created a, an atmosphere in which we were physically disconnected. And those young people miss that. And they're not just going to bounce back right. like maybe some of us adults have, it is going to take some time, but that connection piece is so crucial. I think psychotherapy has its place. Psychiatric medicine has its place, but I'm telling you for a lot of these issues that our young people are talking about, it is they need to be feel connected with one another again and less isolated, less alone. So what I heard that young woman tell us was she was already having some some challenges that maybe in a normal year, she would have connected with a classmate and processed through. But because of the pandemic, she missed out on that and she was sitting with that alone. So as parents, as teachers, as professionals, we need to do everything we can to get students reconnected with one another on a, on a deep emotional level.
0: And that um, I'm not going to be able to get to my remaining phone calls, but a lot of people are asking this question. Uh, they live in rural areas. There's not enough help. What can they do? What are some steps that they can take uh, to help their children that they're concerned about uh, in rural communities where they don't have access to therapists?
1: Well, I want to give two answers to that. And and one is a shameless plug, if I may, Angela. Help is on the way. The Center for Rural Behavioral Health it has a mission that is dedicated to putting more mental health professionals in greater Minnesota uh, to make sure that we can meet the demand that our young people and the adults have in those isolated communities. And so help is on the way. We're doing the best we can as quickly as we can uh, to address that. But in the meantime, I think when there is not those professional... Um, outlets to be able to go and access care, uh, I think it really then does fall back on the parent's shoulders to, to be that that listener and to role model those things. And then at, at some point, being able to access the resources that are there. And I think about whether that be at a hospital basis or a county mm-hmm. basis, um, telehealth uh, is an option now that has a- increased access to a number of people. And so it, it's it's not hopeless. It may feel that way. There is help coming, and even in the interim, there are things that It is not can hopeless.
0: Do. And again, step up and listen and show them we care. Our time is up, but believe me, this conversation is not over. We will continue to tackle these conversations about uh, the mental health of our young people in the weeks and months to come. Our guest today, we've been talking with Verna Cornelia Price, better known as Dr. Verner, the CEO of the Power of People Consulting Group, and Thad Schunkweiler, the Director of the Center for Rural Behavioral Health. Uh, there at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Thank you, Dr. Werner. Thank you so much, that, And thank you to our our parents uh, who called in today. This conversation was produced by our senior producer, Danelle Cloutier. We'll talk to you again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.